Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In our second installment for episode 17, Graham McMillan and I give you a comprehensive discussion of J. Michael Straczynski's departure from writing Superman and Wonder Woman. A discussion so comprehensive, it consists mainly of old storylines from New Guardians and Justice League Detroit. Also, comic books about making kites, Loeb and Finch's Ultimatum, and Nick O'Teen also figure into our cutting-edge news analysis, somehow. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello there, Jeff. Hello, <laughs> listeners. Hello, everyone, too. Welcome to another episode of Wait What? The Intelligent and Smart Comic Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you were so awesome was, right up till the I end there. So well, and then I lost it, but I got to tell Damn it. <laughs> that's okay. It's a keeper, man. Are you kidding? For us, I think that's the most professional opening we've ever done and probably ever will do. <laughs> it's good to know that we have nothing to aspire to now. <laughs> <laughs> See? Problems isn't that a weight right off your off your shoulders? Like it's weight off my head. Uh-huh. Hey, so Jeff. Yes, Graham. I'm I'm not gonna give us any time to fuck around this time. JMS, not on Superman and Wonder Woman. Go. <laughs> Go. That is so Come evil. Right you... now, go. Okay, well, let me let me talk about my brief impressions of it, which are I thought that that was an amazingly um, epic uh, case of spin that DC tried to put forward there with the whole Earth One, like, wow, this was such an amazing success that we're going to pull JMS from it so that he can fast track the sequel. And it was like, but what? I think that's been well covered. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think I wasn't reading either the Superman book or the Wonder Woman book, so in a way, it's no sweat off my no skin off my nose. I think it's very interesting and a little weird that there's the that other people will be still finishing up JMS's story and that he will be sort of contributing and overseeing it like I guess in a way that could be good it's better than just sort of a countdown style kind of crash and burn in in one issue and then you jump over from the next like he's he's still being listed as co-writer right so I mean in a way there's a case to be made that if there's one thing that DC's work has suffered from recently and this I would actually apply to JMS as well it's that there's not enough continuity between uh, arcs with different creative teams such that, you know, I mean, I think that really was kind of that feeling of like JMS walked in with Wonder Woman and was kind of like, yeah, okay. Fuck everything that went before. Exactly. Like, I haven't read it and neither of you. Let's get going. And which I don't think is a, is a good thing. Like, there are times when I know there are writers who have done that and for the most part pulled it off. Uh, but generally, I kind of think that it is something that has hampered uh, especially DC comics of the whole idea of like, you, you, like a new character comes in and you all but feel the reset button being hit on everything that's kind of come before. So maybe it's a good thing that there are some writers that will finish up JMS's story with him there. And in theory, it closes the way it's supposed to close. And then hopefully like get a chance to take the characters from there and run from their own, you know, and build from their own book as opposed to just kind of it being like, okay, well, Dan DiDio going, you 
you're great, sweetheart. There's $20 on the dresser, you know, and then bringing in whoever else is lined up <clears throat> the next big celebrity heavy hitter to, to blow things. But, um, uh, I, you know, the thing that was interesting to me in a way was the, the number of people who started saying online, like, well, you know, JMS is like really sick and this is a guy who's got health problems, you know, uh, well, that's, I think that's because so many people, I think, when the news was first announced, were like, GMS can't finish anything. He's so far behind in this book. Fuck him. He's a loser. <laughs> I, 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 I was really surprised. And I, I said this on Twitter at the time that when the news broke, I didn't see anyone say I was enjoying that book. That's a shame. Yeah. All, those, all the response I saw was GMS cannot complete a run to save his life. Right. And... He's he's always late. That mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the he's sick. Definitely for me because I had that response as well. Was came from the you know it, it said that he had problems, and that was why there was the villain with with Willow on Superman. Uh-huh. Um, was a feeling of like get off the guy's case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think it was like a weird a weird and rare occasion of the internet actually feeling like someone had been piled onto too much. <laughs> Well, true. I mean, for me, it's kind of a weird, like, I don't, I I didn't really have, you know, a dog in the race because it's like, okay, I'm not reading the book. I'm not going to be reading it any less now that he's left, you know, and I'm not sure, frankly, if I'm going to jump in to see someone else finish his storyline. But, you know, there, I, to me, I kind of have, I do have problems when people pull the, oh, he's sick card. It's like, well, but that's not, that doesn't. You know, I, I, and I think that's why a lot of people jump to that whole like, oh, he's never finished anything kind of feeling of, you know, it's a little consistent. There are times when it's like, you know, there there are dudes and like Ellis is, Warren Ellis is one where it's like, I don't think the guy, I think it's, I think it is not a um, inappropriate thing to point out that he has a history of not necessarily running on time. And of course, other things sort of fall out about it. Uh, you know, like the, the, like he gets out of sync with say someone like Chris Weston, who himself is very busy. And then the next thing, you know, it's like a year and a half. And honestly, I kind of thought that Straczynski was pretty gracious and upfront about his, uh, what was going on in a way, uh, as far as his health goes or like with other storylines that I, I kind of don't feel like, I don't feel like piling on the guy. I certainly don't think that, that Straczynski deserves to be slammed for it, particularly because like you said, nobody seemed to really be enjoying it. Like, why can't we all just go, Oh, thank God. And wow, that was a really embarrassingly bad piece of spin by DC and move on. Yeah. That's what's really surprising me about this. Cause this honestly feels like, DC snatching defeat from the jaws of victory because <laughs> no one really is that bothered that JMS is off the books. Right. No one is really that bothered that Superman Earth 1 is getting uh, like a fast track sequel. Right. Like people are our best. Eh. I think there's a lot more excitement about Chris Roberson and Phil Hester getting the gigs instead. Yeah, yeah exactly. But the way that DC announced it, Everyone's like, why are you hiding this? What the fuck? I'm like, I was as well. At first, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's the worst possible way to break this news. I mean, we're doing a sequel to a book that we announced was the first in a series a year and a half ago. Yeah. 
it's like, oh, that's that's a new story. <laughs> and, and it's because people are like, well, really, he's leaving the books. And I feel if they'd just been like, if they just said, GMS is ASIC, be busy, right. C, quite clearly not hitting his deadlines. And mm-hmm. so we're bringing on these writers to help finish the deadlines. Mm-hmm. It would everyone would have been like, "That's great! I really like those writers." And the way they announced it turned it into the story that it became. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was just, I, but that's like that's for me awesome because I'm a complete wonk and I'm like, "Yeah, their spin was wrong." Um, right. Exactly. But it's also really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really sad that that's what it became. It became what is DC trying to hide? Mm-hmm. And really, DC's probably not trying to hide anything. Like DC's probably trying to hide their embarrassment at the high profile ones crashing and burning less than six months into right well and i think i think that's what they're trying that's what i think a lot of people are quick to assume they were hiding uh and i think that that's you know again i it it does say something where let's i i'm not sure anyone really be ended up coming looking particularly good out of all of this in a way you know because it really was that case of i do feel that after a lot of smoke blown up our butts about various things that DC was doing or promising. And this goes with Marvel as well, I think. You know, I can see where people are quick to scream out, jump up and go, aha, gotcha, you know. But they did it in a way that was really kind of like, uh, yeah, like none of us really ended up looking particularly as good out of the whole situation. But yeah, frankly, I think you're right. If they had had passed it as more of a, like, we're trying to make sure that these, you know, after the earlier deadline thing, we want to make sure that that everything ships on time because that's our commitment to retailers and the readers in the new year. That's not a bad way to spin it, you know? Yeah, and just say, like, these guys who have a lot of goodwill from fans are getting a chance to work in really fucking high-profile books. Mm Mm-hmm. Win for everyone, right? And and but that's like they did it. They did it in a way that made them look suspicious. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? By having a complete non-news story as the headline, mm-hmm. and then putting the news story like the fourth paragraph in. <laughs> like even if every even if everything they said in that story was true, mm-hmm. the presentation of it made it look like a lie, and that's why it became what it became. Yeah. Because no one really, really, really gives a shit whether JMS is writing those books or not. Right. Well, that's it, as far as I can tell. Um, I mean, the, the, the sales show that. I mean, sure, Wonder Woman <laughs> launched massively, but that's because she had a new costume. Mm-hmm. No, I, all the sales, as far as I can tell, like several issues in, people are like, okay, this is not really reversing as far as the trend goes. You know what? What is fascinating to me, and this is like really just digging into things is um, if you believe the timelines that have been laid out from everyone in the interviews afterwards, mm-hmm. DC works in a really tight, a really short deadline, but a really tight deadline. Mm-hmm. If, if DC really honestly made the decision a few weeks ago, as JMS said, to make this happen, the fact that the next issue to be released of Wonder Woman is going to be the one that has the co-writer. Right. Then that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Are they really turning books around from scratch in two months? Right. Right. That seems pretty unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's sure, it's, it, and it could well be the case. And it, who knows? It, on a book where you know you've got somebody who might be already running late, I can see where they might be. Like normally it's three, but they've run it as tight as two. You know. Yeah, but it's like that's that's the most interesting part of it for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I'm now wondering exactly how tight the deadlines are because I get the feeling for Marvel, Marvel's uh, Marvel do work on that tight a deadline because mm-hmm. when Diamond decided that they're going to be shipping books to retailers on Tuesdays instead of Wednesdays, Brevort said that that cut a week. That meant Marvel had to have their books ready a week earlier. Wow, that one day change. And I don't know if you've noticed, but recently in the individual issues, for some reason, the Indicas have included the dates of printing of wow. the books. Nice. And what I noticed for October is that DC's books for October were printed in July. Marvel's books for October were printed like two weeks before they were released. That's some eagle eye shit going on there, Graham. How the hell did you find that? Figure that out. It's got the dates. Like no, but I know. But do you read the Indicia for like all your titles, or like you check in every yes. once in a while? Or God yes, help I me, I, do I, you really? I, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I can't remember why I noticed it. But I remember noticing it and being like, "Oh, that's interesting." But it was like you know, date printed, and like the DC books is like you know seven fourteen to seven twenty one, and for Marvel it's like you know ten fifteen. <laughs> Six thirty this afternoon. Exactly, uh, like, like two minutes ago. Um, yeah, and I, I thought that was fascinating for books that were released the same week. That the, the, the lead time was so much greater for DC. Huh? But maybe that's the case. I mean, maybe DC like normally works with really, really long lead times, but for things like a JMS, they are willing to take it right to the deadline. Right. And then when it turns out like they realize that that can't happen they're like fuck it we're bringing in phil hester yeah maybe that's it well now okay so wait a minute so i'm looking at like um knight and squire number two which... see now you're now you're going to ask what books it was in i can't remember jess see because i'm like it, well it just says printed by quad graphics 1103 2010 right am i looking at the wrong thing or no that's it that's a date okay but so that means that it was printed a week before it yeah before it hit the stands, right? Yes, which is, yeah. But for, for other, I can't remember what books it was. Like, it was like three months before it was really surprising. It might have been fair to a books now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that that would make some sense. And interestingly enough, yeah. Huh. That's a hell of a switch. I will, I will now start reading those damn things. Although, I have to say, my old guy eyes, like, just looking at those things, I'm like, wow, I... Because when I was growing up as a kid, I have to admit, I did probably read those, like you know, every other month just to, you know, make sure that I remembered everyone's address properly or whatever. And now it's like, huh, they still have them. How about that? Comics. <laughs> it's, um, I remember the, I think it was a recent Amazing Spider-Man had the, the postal service thing. You know, you used to get like the box and it was like, you know, circulation. Mm-hmm. And it had that. Mm-hmm. And I always read those when I see them just because I'm really curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I found two things fascinating about it. One, for Amazing Spider-Man, which at the time was still coming out three times a month. Yes. Uh, it said an annual subscription was 12 issues. Huh. Yeah, I wonder how they would do that. 
for the weekly for the once they start to the bread and like clearly they're not going to give you the average subscription rate for it since it's three times as many i guess they just yeah do, do they change it to a quarterly subscription rate i i i honestly can't remember um but it also had the the cost of subscription and the cost of subscription according to this was two dollars an issue what yeah <clears throat> well you know they used to offer and i was like savings, i was like I guess. yeah Exactly. Is mm-hmm. is like does that still exist? And they're just not talking about it. Like, could someone theoretically write to Marvel and be like, "I want to subscribe to Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. Here is my twenty-four dollars. Here's my dollar fifty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm sure. It is. And, and if so, like, what would the response be? Because it's in this thing. It's in this this uh, like notation at the back of the issue. Well. And let's be honest. Which I'm here. guessing has to be legally binding, because otherwise, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they can't just make that shit up. One, one would hope. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, it it is that kind of thing of like, who the hell subscribes? Like now that I think about it, like in the year two thousand, like. 10 like who subscribed is it is it like amish people you know what i mean like there's kind of a weird like even when i was a kid i remember looking at subscription and i don't even know how i knew this considering there was no such thing as an internet but you were pretty aware that you weren't supposed to subscribe to comics because they arrived late and they supposedly got mangled in the mail like they just were not treated well as someone who even though i lived internationally did subscribe to a comic dun 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 i can tell you that at least internationally they arrived like first of all significantly later right like i'm talking like three or four months later holy shit really yeah pretty much in pieces because the comics i got at least from dc um Literally had a brown paper wrapper that didn't go over the entire comic. Exactly. Exactly. I wonder if I subscribe to something now. But yeah, no, it's that same thing of like it doesn't quite cover it and it's kind of a mess and it got super double crinkled because the male guy would fold it around everything else. And So so here's the funny thing. If the comic I subscribe to, the New Guardians. Do you even remember the New Guardians? Oh my god, like the Steve Englehart like spin off from Millennium. From Millennium? Yeah. Yes. You subscribed. Yes. <laughs> Do you know why? First of all, I love Millennium and I think that's a well known thing that like yes. Millennium is honestly one of my favorite comic crossovers well, ever. You know, talking about the whole the fact that if you liked Englehart and Staten's Green Lantern Corps, which I know you did, and I loved I at the loved. time too. Yeah, exactly. I uh, but also I love Millennium, and uh, they were like, "It's Englehart, and he's going to be socially relevant." And like, I was God, fourteen at the time. Fifteen. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't wait because like I remember pretty much I learned about Englehart from West Coast Avengers and Green Lantern Corps, mm-hmm. um, which were the books he was doing when I was reading. Right. And I was like, this will be awesome. Um, and it was like, and we'll also give you a poster signed by the creators. And for some reason, that was enough to make me go, yes, I'm subscribing. <laughs> um, That's the best and, thing and, ever. Know, the, the, the hilarious punchline to this is, first of all, Steve Englehart was off the book by the second issue. Secondly, <laughs> really? I didn't realize yeah, that. No, he was gone. Secondly, oh the book only lasted 12 issues. Right. Um, by the time it finished, it was Carrie Brates and Pat Broderick who were creating it. Wow. Joe jo Staten was gone by, like, issue seven as well. Holy shit. And um, then it was the Captain Adam team, basically. Yes. Um, and, like, it, it was quite clearly a book that 
went off the rails at amazing speed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably from inception. I mean, just from the way that... Uh... God bless the magical gay Brazilian character. Oh, uh, seriously! If you haven't, if you haven't read New Guardians, you can't talk about Estrano and his, <laughs> his Spanish for strange, uh, because and this is something I honestly only worked out like years later. I I thought it was because they were ripping off Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. because they were with character design. Yes, obviously. But it's not. It's because it's also Spanish for queer. Hey, here's something. Isn't he Brazilian? Is he? I or is he know. Mexican? Because I, 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 I thought he was Spanish. I could be wrong. It has been many years since I've read. You know, he probably is Spanish because I don't know why I thought Brazilian. Um, which would um, make no sense since they speak Portuguese. So, but um, what I was going to say was that he goes through like a metamorphosis midway through the series, mm-hmm. where he goes from femme to butch. I'm swear to God, I'm not making this up. Um, and literally, he grows muscles and starts wearing like a muscle vest. And as a big head, I'm really not joking. Um, the, the series, like, it's funny because the first issue is at Engelhart, mm-hmm. and it sets out like what he's going to do. And it's an entirely different book from everything from the second issue on. I mm-hmm. honestly think now, and even at the time, that the editor saw the first issue and they're like, "You can't do this," and he walked. Yeah, probably. Probably. He certainly has done that before for the most part. Because the first issue essentially is all the characters being like, okay, so we're the next stage in human evolution, but there's only two men in the group and one of them's gay. So the other guy is quite clearly going to be fucking all the women. Which is like said in the dialogue. Wow. And and, and but in the sense of like all the women being like, I'm totally not down for this. Um, and the first issue ends with Three of the characters might have AIDS. What? Three? No, of really? The... What? Three of the characters might have AIDS because they are attacked by a villain who has AIDS, who scratches them and gets blood in them. Wow. Um, and like, I, I, after that, like traditional comic book logic takes over, and <laughs> one of the characters, one of the characters, so uh, one of the characters is definitely diagnosed as HIV positive. Mm-hmm. She sacrifices herself so it becomes a non-issue. When she sacrifices herself, she magically cures another character of being HIV positive. No. And the third character of HIV positive is the Doctor Strange analog, right. who also magically cures himself. Yeah. Wow. Really. Oh, but yeah. but the, like the first issue is like you know the setup for something that could have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Engelhart plotted the second issue, and then he's entirely gone. And it's, again, the plot, the second issue is fascinating as well because the supervillain is a supervillain who this is so wonderfully 1980s, gets his power from snorting coke. <laughs> Seriously. That's, that's how he gets his power. But like, that's also kind of fascinating. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a great idea. And so he, this character talks like someone who's just completely coked out of their head. <laughs> well, actually, it was funny when you said the whole thing about the about AIDS. I was like, oh, wait a minute, you know? kind of this whole idea of like um there is something that's kind of like i mean it's it's a it, it's it's always handled in such a way that's like really annoying but like 
you know, it would have been kind of wonderful in a way if, like, these guys had gotten AIDS and then just manifested new powers, you know? Because there's that whole, like, everyone, like, everyone got their powers from radiation in the 60s. Like, suddenly mm-hmm. it wasn't a negative thing. It was this weird benefit, you know? And I guess yeah. maybe it's just because nobody knew enough about radiation, and by anyone, I mean Stan Lee, to know that it was actually potentially deadly. Uh, but, you know, there's kind of... But there's kind of that weird idea of like, here's no, this you, weird... No, you, you could totally have applied comic book logic to it. And isn't that what um, Jim Valentino did for Shadowhawk? Did he? Yeah, is that not the, is that not the setup for Shadowhawk? I... Shadowhawk, Shadowhawk was definitely HIV positive. Huh, and that's how he gets his powers? I don't know, I never read Shadowhawk. I just... See, I was about to say, I'm like, you're steps ahead of me. I'm like, I have never, like... But I know he's HIV positive. Oh, well, I know there were various characters with AIDS in the in the uh, image books that, as far as I can tell, were handled as excruciatingly horrible as possible, you know? Like, it really was, you have AIDS, you have a death sentence, I'm going to take as many guys with me before I go. And it kind of, like, like, wasn't there some jerk with, like, a skull for a face who had AIDS and... God Some knows. other guy who like beat up Spawn who had I don't know, but I mean but, it is kind of this weird thing of like the the whole idea of like taking like drugs and disease and turning them into the next sort of superpower create you know um, catalyst is kind of actually sort of charming, you know. No, uh, I, I I honestly think if New Guardians had continued with Engelhart, it would have been a really, if not great, at least interesting and influential series it would have been but, interesting i don't but, know I, you no, know because i'm literally like it's like dc completely lost their nerve after they saw the first issue yeah well and I, rem- I remember i remember <coughs> when they mailed out the subscriptions they mailed out the first three issues in a one oh wow um and i remember reading the first issue and being like this is interesting and second should be like this is not so interesting third issue be like oh fuck i've subscribed <laughs> to this <laughs> See, the thing that's funny is I remember I also enjoyed West Coast Avengers and was loving Green Lantern Corps. And because of our age differences, I re- I keep thinking I, I was in high school. I must have been in college at that point. I read the Millennium Crossover. Um, yeah, I was definitely in college. And by the end of the Millennium Crossover, I was like, I don't want i don't i I don't want to find out with these guys the next human evolution i i kind of yeah i kind of had that thing of like i don't think that this is i think this was a misfire by the time you get to the end of the miniseries in a way oh so so do you want me to tell you how they ended up being the next stage of human evolution (laughs) sure please do by by the time the series finished yeah it's it's absolutely wonderful um basically by the end of the series they're like we're only joking um, the next stage of human evolution uh, is Tom Pieface and the um, the South African like racist dictator man uh-huh. both have latent powers from the Guardians that were never known. Right, um, and they start off essentially like this crazy race war um, <laughs> that, in the process, reveals like these weird mutants that look human but aren't really human, and they are the next stage of human evolution. Oh, and then, then, like, the end of the series is Tom being like, now that I'm, you know, Eskimo Jesus, I'm going to stay with you guys and teach you how to be the next stage of human evolution. And then, like, you know, <laughs> no, one, no one who writes DC Comics after that ever remembers that. And so, like, the next time you see Tom, he's like, yeah, I was talking with those guys for a bit. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Dude, 
I love you so much just for using the phrase, now that I'm Eskimo Jesus. I... That's like one of the best things I've ever heard in my life said out loud. I swear, I swear to God, he starts glowing and, like, floating in Christ-like poses. I'm sure he does, but and he doesn't Fred, call himself Fred, Eskimo Jesus. Peace and love when he does that. And he's in a race war. Dude, seriously, I, I'm i kind of like, I'm kind of in love with you're, these issues. Totally, I'm sort of thinking... You're, yeah, you're totally going to find the box. I, I kind of am thinking, like, I'm hitting eBay after we finish talking, because, like, I'm sure I can pick these up for, like, really cheap, and they sound... Here, everyone to be listening, they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> I have this complete weakness for um, specifically DC Comics on my ears, which has led me to, for example, reread the Detroit Justice League issues. Right. Also... Not very good. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of not. They're kind of not. That was uh, Jerry Conway, right? Wasn't it? Yes, that was Jerry Conway attempting to A, be relevant, and B, catch some of that New Teen Titans heat. Yeah, yeah, which um, they really did miss on that, I have to say. Oh, they did, but um, Vibe remains to this day a possibly the greatest comic creation of the 1980s. He's up there. Basically, it's kind he's, of... A... He's, he's awesome. And the best part of him is not his first appearance, which I might actually have to scan in because I do own that comic. Um, <laughs> and as I said, you can put it online, like when we put this post online, because I swear to God, it's like close-ups of his fingers as they click and his sunglasses and his uh, his mouth. And uh-huh. he's like, gonna do it. And then there's a double-page spread of him breakdancing. That's awesome. I mean, come on. Um, That's no, no, awesome. But the best part of it, Vibe, seriously, is the in-story joke that he is putting on an accent when he's around the Justice League because he wants them to underestimate him and think he's dumb. <laughs> like, that's actually in the story. Really? Yes. So his whole Jace, man, that's all, like, put on or something? Yes. And in the story, like, they show him with his family and he's not like that at all. And at some point, someone calls him out on it. And he's like, yeah, don't tell anyone. Wow. It's it's like Black Lightning, which is like still one of my favorite things about that character. The Black mm-hmm. Lightning is like, you know, I'm putting on this afro so people think I'm a black exploitation character. <laughs> but really, I'm a school teacher. Like, that's a great idea. Yeah, that is a great idea. You knew that about Black Lightning, right? I knew that. Well, I knew that he was a school teacher, and I know that he posed differently. I did not know that he actually wore the afro as like. Yeah, he, he, he had an afro wig. That was his disguise. Oh, his man. disguise was like to be this incredibly cliched. Black exploitation character. Because <laughs> in, in real life, he's, well, real life, but in his secret entity, he's, yeah. like, this educated school teacher. Right. Which is, which is wonderful. Like, there's that's such a great idea. Yeah. And they do the same thing with Vibe. Mm-hmm. Vibe, like, completely plays on the cultural stereotype and right. pretends As... to be who everyone thinks he should be. Which is a great idea. Which is a great idea. I actually do love that, um... I love that muchly. I really do. Well, guess what? It's 31 minutes, and we kind of talked about the JMS thing, I guess. Sort of. It's <laughs> like, here's something that happened. Like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of I brought it up because I was hoping that you would have, like, a, a bunch of heavy-duty insight into it. And, I mean, at least we... My, my insight into it is just, it should be a good thing, but they really fucked up the way they told Right, and I, and I think that's... But, I, I mean, think, every, I think everyone would rather read Chris Robertson and Superman and, and Phil Hester and Wonder Woman. Right. I, I, it's just, it was, the way they told us was terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's sort of the takeaway message. That and, and 
there the new was, Guardians is not very good. The new <laughs> Guardian, right. Or awesome, depending on who you're talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that there is that stuff that's like, wow, there's some great ideas here, and yet still terrible? Like like with that Justice League Detroit stuff? I mean, there Justice, is... Yeah, Justice League Detroit could have been awesome. Like, there are some really, really great ideas in there. And I actually think Steel, the character from that, mm-hmm. either was completely... Like, is one of those characters that has incredible potential and was completely wasted. Do you do you remember Steel? I, I remember the, his design. I don't. I don't. Remember. Okay. So the basic plot is he's the grandson of Commander Steel from the Justice Society era. Uh huh. He was completely fine, and his grandfather decided that he should follow in his footsteps, and so turned him into a cyborg against his will. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically kept him away from everyone. Mm-hmm. With the idea that one day there would be a big disaster and he could come out and be a, a patriotic superhero. But instead, he like goes, fuck you, I'm joining the Justice League because I'm a robot now. Thanks very much, you bastard. Wow. You know, that is kind of... The other thing I have to admit, I'm totally embarrassed. I'm going to blame it on the fact that I didn't follow DC much, but it's really not much of an excuse. It was only when you said it that I'm like, oh, of course the whole thing was an attempt to cash in on the new Teen Titans never occurred to me like i'm like why would they do that you know but you know like the whole team i just figured that it was jerry conway sort of caprice of like I, oh, it, pro- it probably was as well i mean I, the part <laughs> that like came just before it with basically all of the justice league not being around because they're too busy in the other other books mm-hmm. it's probably like metatextual jerry conway being like i don't have a cast anymore right right because like that's actually the reason like the storyline just before the the Detroit thing is the Earth Mars war and like none of the big guns are around and it's commented on the story that they're all like somewhere else having their own adventures and then beginning of Justice League Detroit Zach Man being like this is complete bullshit if we're supposed to save the world it can't be people who drop in when they're not doing anything else right which again is a is a, a smart idea yeah, I think so. When when handled well, which it necessarily well, which, which it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. But, but no. Again, it, it, Justice League Detroit is full of ideas that could have been great, mm-hmm. and instead were 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 not. <laughs> we're, we're just the opposite. In fact, yes, yes. But and again, they're better than they got <laughs> with the weird J. Mark Demetrius like ending that I think shows weird issues. <laughs> Why? Okay, you can talk about this too. He, he, this he is killed, awesome. he killed he kills all the men and all the women are left alive. <laughs> why? Why does that show weird issues to you? It. I think it's really weird that all the women are fine and all the men are killed. You know, he has he has to write out four characters, and for some reason, all the women are fine and all the men are like brutally, horribly murdered. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't seem weird to you. It does. I I guess. I I don't know. I mm, I it I mean, would be it, it just might, as it weird if it was the other way around. No, no, I, I would agree. I mean it might be that the issues it's showing is that like political correctness got mad and he's like, I can't have violence against women. Maybe. Uh, but no, it, it was it was an odd thing. And seeing as you're now yawning while we're recording the podcast. No, um, <laughs> no, I, that has nothing to do with this. This is great. I mean, the sure. thing that's, a, yeah, <laughs> Graham, the idea that I would yawn while we're talking about Justice League Detroit <laughs> is... Imp- yawn 
while you're impossible. Talking, like thirty-year-old like, Justin Lee cuts you. That could not happen. No, no, what? no. Actually, I do find that stuff dramatically interesting. It's just uh, yeah, other, yeah, other. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Other sleep-related factors play into sure. it. So. You need a Tempur-Pedic bed, my friend. We've got an awesome bed. I just don't get enough time to sleep in it is the problem. All right. Well, listen, 36 Six minutes. again, careering off the, off the rails. <laughs> it's great. We actually did talk way more about Justice League uh, Detroit. And I have to say, <laughs> seriously, it's like JMS, finally, you've gotten a um, discussion of your issues that you can probably listen to without wanting to go out and punch a yeah. tree. The other thing I'll say about JMS and Superman Earth 1 is, I'm fascinated by Brian's um, argument about that basically that Superman Earth One is not a massive hit if you compare it with serialization to collection money and sales. Yeah, I, I kind of well, I see kind of what he's going on about in a way, um, uh, and I do think that there's a there's there's a case to be made if they pitched it right that his like the breaking Superman Earth One into a six issue miniseries that shipped absolutely dead on on time because the uh, entire thing was taken care of or a five issue miniseries or something mm-hmm. would have sold well uh, would have would have made them a ton of money and then the trade would have done very well because if you look at something like the Ultimates the Ultimates did really good sales as individual issues and then came out and did really great sales with the trades, you know? And no, I think I, I, his... yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the argument because the argument that um, Hibbs is using is Superman, All-Star Superman, which had single issues, trade paperbacks, absolute edition, three different editions. And, and hardcover, didn't they? Hardcovers, no, softcovers. What's oh, that? So they did. No, they did. They did yeah. hardcover, softcover on. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's four different editions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... I mean, I can kind of see his point, but the thing I'm fascinated is that DC are like, it's a massive hit. Oh my God, it's the biggest thing in the world. And that it's not doing spectacular numbers in context. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I'm not even sure it's doing spectacular numbers when compared with the Joker graphic novel from last year. Right. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, and this is one of those situations where I do, I th- I think that there is a um, tail side of the the iceberg underneath the water that we do not see, which is that that we see the bookstores, we see the um, we see the direct market, we don't see the fact that basically every library in the United States ordered a copy <clears throat> when it first came out, you know. Yeah, or something. Like I don't, I don't know what what it is in there, but I do think that there's something that's in there. I, I also think that again, it's one of those things of like they're trumpeting a bunch of stuff up front um, to kind of potentially smokescreen some other stuff. So I, I, to me, I'm kind of like this is not really news in the way that say the the fact that the Joker book sold as well as it did is news. Yeah, you know. Um, and like you said, that all-star Superman money, that that did that that is what hundreds of thousands of dollars that that the marketplace was able to see from it, and you still get your books, your serialization, and your news push. Um, 
I don't know. I again, it's that sort of deal of like volume one is great. I I also you know as a Hibbs sympathizer think that volume three is is where you really see the story being told the story of the sales you know yeah because yeah. there's lots of things where the you know oh i think i think that uh, sales for superman earth one volume two is are going to be significantly lower than the first one we'll see if only it. because i think the their sales velocity that they're reporting right now mm-hmm. if it's to the bookstores it's sale or return we don't know how many of that how many of those are going to sell we don't sure. know how many of those are going to be returned right i mean it's it's I I think I mean I can't blame them for being like we've got heads because you know that's what you do. Sure. But I think if they're genuinely making policy decisions based upon the idea that they have a massive hit, it's way too early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, unless it's like again they like every library in the United States, you know, ten thousand, twenty thousand libraries all managed to buy a copy or put in their orders, and that's all non-returnable as well. I, it's I, who knows. I it's I I think it is very goofy, and I like you said, I expect volume two to be significantly lower, kind of in the same way that you know it used to be back in the old days that a first first issue of a new comic book, yeah, exactly, that, you know, was yeah. a big deal, and then the second issue would drop down significantly as well. So. The other thing I will say, and then I will completely shut up and we can stop and get back, is I'm <laughs> really curious about what the, not even the sales, but the dollar value of Superman Secret Origin is going to be against Superman Earth War. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Secret Origin is the is the Jeff, Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns, Guy Frank thing is just finished. That is right. coming out in hardcover soon, if it's not already out. Wow. Yeah, that's Because uh, Because to me... That's much more of what you'd expect from a Superman origin book, mm-hmm. and in a hardcover collection, it doesn't matter to new readers that it's been serialized. Like it, they they don't know. Oh, great! I mean, I agree. do you know what I mean? Like it really doesn't matter. So I think the OGN argument is completely flawed because the people, if you're targeting your audience, it makes no difference. It yeah. will be a new book when they see it in the bookstore. Exactly. Um, and I think it's so much more what people want to read from a Superman origin. Right. And plus, it has the word origin in there as right. opposed to earth one which is meaningless to new people right exactly uh, like huh um so i think i think unless unless dc for some political reason scuttle promotion on it mm. i'd be really curious to see what they see the two compared well i don't even necessarily think dc is going to scuttle promotion on it i just kind of see that there's the possibility that having that same book, having a book that seems so similar enter the marketplace immediately so afterwards yeah, yeah. could really, like, I, I can see where a, a huge number of people will be like, I don't, we just got this. What do we need this for? You know, yeah. to the extent that they're yeah. understanding it. Um, yeah, it could it could be a, a spot of bad timing, uh, I think. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting little conundrum. The, I guess I won't be able to tell you more about this than uh, just the, the the fact of it, which hopefully will make it uh, amusing. But speaking of All Star Superman, they had the second volume of uh, of it in hardcover in the library the last time I went the other week. So mm-hmm. I picked it up, and and a few other books. So I just want you to know I actually did this to myself. I read All Star Superman Volume Two. And then followed it up with the trade paperback of Ultimatum. 
wow, that is literally from the sublime to the ridiculous. It really was. I was like, this is dire. Reading those two books side by side could not have been like a more brutal form of comparison and contrast in just about every way imaginable. It was interesting. I'd heard about Ultimatum, so I sort of knew what I was getting into. I was kind of shocked at how there is nothing more to it than than what you've heard, I guess. I, I, have, I have not read Ultimatum, but I did read um, Ultimate Avengers 3, in, oh. uh, for, again, from the library. And, um, and yeah, that was that was an interesting thing to read. The the yeah exactly that was certainly a a book uh, that was something that I have read. <laughs> well put, much better put. Yeah, I I was uh, I was really like I had read, you know, pretty comprehensive breakdowns of Ultimatum. So I'm like, okay, well I'm getting I'm going to read this, and I know what I'm getting into. And I was really surprised how that there is literally nothing more there. Like there is no more. It is barely a story it is it you know you should grab it from the library and read it because i'm willing to bet that it will make avengers 3 look decent um i i i'm tempted to i'm actually tempted to get that and um crack for justice at the same time wow you should you should because i i'm firmly and I, convinced I actually that... genuinely like do it to write about because yeah. because um, they're they're both i think it's fair to say fairly hated yes um, so yeah, I, I think that could be interesting. You you should because I I really I I would be impressed to see what you think of Ultimatum because I was imp- I was I was really surprised <laughs> at speechless. How... I can tell. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, I'm trying. I'm just trying to think of like the. Uh, you know, I, again, the comparison contrast thing with Superman, All-Star Superman was kind of for me like, oh, that, that'll be enough. But the fact that you haven't actually read Ultimatum, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should try and prepare you in some way that I really can't prepare you. No, no please don't. I just want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, and maybe it won't be applicable. When you were in school, did you ever get those like free comic books where like a superhero like show, shows you how to build a kite? No. Oh my God! Well, we had those, and honestly, I guess they weren't really superheroes. Now that I think about it, growing up, they, you'd always get something that the uh, utility company uh, would sign off on. That was like the Brady Bunch help you build a kite, or you know. And it See, really that, was. That sounds awesome. We got Superman fighting Nick Fourteen, who's telling you not to smoke. No, really? Yeah, yeah really. That sounds much better. I have Nick to say, Fourteen. Nick... That's actually what he was called, and his hat was a giant smoking cigarette. <laughs> I that sounds impressively Bob Haney-ish. I, I I'm like that's kind of not good for Superman. That would be awesome with Brave and the Bold with like Wildcat and Batman like <laughs> so, chained to something uh, and forced to slug each other out of nicotine withdrawal fits or something. Um, Ultimatum is is like a, a comic book that gets packed into a cereal box. Or, again, that shows you how to make a kite, except instead of a kite, it's how to kill other superheroes. Like, there really is almost no purpose to it. See, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, and I'm like, so... <laughs> we just like other our descriptions of each other's uh, comics. Terrible, terrible uh, it's like, I'm like getting off the phone, going to eBay, getting new Guardians... Yeah, there is no warning us once we describe it in a certain way. Okay, so... Okay, like, five seconds and then we get back on and we do the, the Grant Morrison Batman? Yes, yes, that will be, that'll be interesting. 
Let's go. Hooray. All right. Talk to you in five seconds. Lester, 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 Lester. <laughs>